Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. We have, we have all heard the saying, you know, he has his head in the clouds, right? He has, he has his head, that's not a good thing. He has his head in the clouds all the time. Or maybe she's so heavenly minded, she's no earthly good. We've all heard these sayings. And there's probably a proper time to use these sayings sometimes for some people. But as Christians, we might retort, well, we need to be so heavenly minded that we could be some earthly good. That's our answer. We're admonished in the scriptures again and again here and there to set our minds and our affections on things above, on heavenly things. We're reminded that this world is not our home, that we are in fact born from above. We are citizens of the heavenly city. We are only pilgrims and sojourners, strangers in this world. Well, the passage in the New Testament which actually admonishes us to set our minds or our affections, in one translation, to set our minds and affections on things above. This comes from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in the context of Paul saying this, of making this admonition, he directly relates this to our Lord's bodily ascension. That is the context of his admonition. The ascension, this great feast which we celebrate, which is too poorly understood and celebrated by Christians, this is not just a historical event that we have derived some really profound theological doctrines from. What happened in the ascension? What actually happened in the cosmos, in the world, to humanity, to creation, To everything that is, everything was changed in the ascension. The ascension is the very basis for how we live our lives day to day. We are to live according to the ascension, according to our knowledge and connection with the ascended Christ. Case in point is this very pastoral admonition by St. Paul in Colossians, and that's why I brought it up. In this passage, St. Paul appeals to the ascension of Christ as the very reason he is admonishing these Colossian Christians against worldliness and toward virtue. How to live. This is how you are to live because, not just because Christ was born, not just because he lived and did miracles, not just because he died, not just because he rose from the dead, but because he has ascended. Because he has ascended. This is why you are to live this way. He says in this passage in Colossians 3, I just pulled out some phrases to jog your memory. Seek those things above. Set your mind, your affection on those things above. Then he goes on and he says, mortify your members with their passions so that you can avoid the wrath of God. Put on virtue and mercy and kindness and long-suffering. The perfect bond of peace. 
He's admonishing them to do these things. This is how we are to live. Why? And how do we do this? And he tells us in this same passage, because you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. And I would ask, where is Christ? (laughs) If your life is hid with Christ in God, please remember, Christ is not just an ethereal, you know, disembodied spirit floating around somewhere. He's in a body, still, at this very moment. He went up. I don't know where that is. I don't know if the church has ever attempted to answer this question. But they saw him go up, and he still remains in a relatively finite human body. And you are hid with Christ in God, in him, in his person, is where you are. And where is he? Well, he's risen and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. And that's why you are to set your mind on things above. Because that's where he is. And you are to set your mind on him and turn your gaze toward him. You are to look unto Jesus. And he is above at the right hand of the Father. Lest you think I'm making all this up, I will read the first verse of chapter 3. So you can see that I'm not just fabricating this tale myself. He says, if ye then, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. His admonition for us to seek the things above is the ascension of Jesus Christ. This passage we know so well, we've probably never tied it to the ascension. It is the ascension that drives, compels us to seek those things above because that's where we know Christ has gone. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God above. It is our connection Our connection by faith in the Spirit with the ascended Lord that enables us to live above this world. To be so heavenly minded that we might be some earthly good. When we die with Christ in baptism and are raised with Him to new life, that's a wonderful thing, but it's not the end. We go down into the tomb of baptism and we come up in new life. But we're not done. There's one more thing that has to happen. We get caught up with Him into heaven. We ascend with Him into the heavenly place. Even now, right now, we are in Him and He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Paul tells the Ephesians, God hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there is no question at all, no one would question that our faith, the scriptures, and the church teaches that we are truly, in some mystical sense, but truly in heaven, in Christ. This is our home. This is our place. This is where we belong. And yet, it's not so simple, (laughs) because there is another side to it all. We have not, as the Platonists would like, 
We have not just been liberated from the prison of this world and the prison of this flesh. We have not just escaped to heaven as pure, true spirits. This is not Christianity. As much as the scriptures remind us that we are from above and reside above and set our affection on that which is above, the scriptures are also clear that we are deeply rooted and grounded here in the earth. We're earth people. We came from the earth. We're earth people. And God forever sanctioned the holiness of earth people when he became an earth man. We're grounded in the earth and we belong here. We belong in this world as ambassadors from heaven. Jesus even prayed. He said, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. That's just a sidling sort of lateral English way of saying, Lord, do not take them out of the world. It is the will of God that we remain in the world while he's up there. In heaven. While he has bodily left the world, he wills that we stay in the world. There are multiple antinomies going on in this circumstance we find ourselves in, which began for humanity at his ascension. He left, he went back to his majesty, he left us here in the veil of tears. That's the truth of it. That's our experience. It's a part of our experience. He clearly says that we are with Him there by the Spirit while bodily here in this corrupt world. And He warned in constant danger on all sides as well. We may be even a little sad. We may be a little sad that He is there and we are here. And yet He tells us that if we love Him, we will be glad. No one loved him like his mother. I'm sure those who walked away from the mountain after he disappeared into the clouds, if their heads were hanging a little low, she loved him more than anyone. I'm sure she went around and said, hey, he said, if you love him, you will be glad. This is to our benefit that he went away. Trust him. Another one is coming. And he is coming. So he left and went back to his majesty, and we are here in this world. We might think it would be nice to be there. Maybe there's a temptation to gaze. Kind of stargaze and think, oh, it would be nice to be there with him. A temptation to gaze into heaven in such a way that maybe we would fail to be present in the earth which is his command and his will. We really could possibly have our head in the clouds in such a way that we would betray his command to go and to do. This temptation, interestingly, is anticipated and addressed, if you can read between the lines in this passage from Luke's second book of Acts. This temptation is addressed by who? The two angels in shining white garments who appeared to the disciples, men and women, there were quite a number of them there, those that Christ had raised from the dead, 
that came out of the tombs. They're all there on the mount, and they're there, and they're watching Jesus' body go up and up and up. He's getting smaller and smaller, and the clouds are enveloping him, and he's starting to fade into the clouds out of their sight. Oh, think about that. After everything they had been through, there he goes. <laughs> there he goes. He must have been a, a little bit feeling a little vulnerable. A little vulnerable. There he goes. And pretty soon he just, he's enveloped in the clouds and he's gone. He's just gone. So uh, now what? Now what are we going to do? Where do we go from here? Maybe they were a little sad. Why, why couldn't you have taken us with you? Didn't he pray that where he was going we would also go? Well, there he's left. He's gone. And we're here. Something didn't go according to plan. Well, right about then, two fellows showed up. <laughs> Big, tall. Doesn't say they're tall, but heard enough stories about angels that uh, they were probably tall. Imagine about 11 feet. About 11 feet tall. Bright white clothes, shining, pretty stunning appearance. And these two glorious angels say to the crowd, why are you standing here, gazing up into heaven? They're all standing there, looking up, gawking, gaping, staring up into the empty sky. And these angels ask them, what are you doing? Why are you looking up there? I always find these questions in the scriptures very amusing. Very amusing. I mean, is this a serious... If I was there, I probably, I don't know, I would have turned to one of them and said, is this a serious or rhetorical question? What do you mean? Why are we looking up into heaven? Do you not understand what we have been through? I mean, he, this man, this Jewish carpenter's son, and he turns out to be God and dies and rises from the get, dead, and he's been, the last 40 days, he's been sort of popping in and out in his glorified body, walking, you know, and he just leaves, and here we are. And you want to know why we're staring up into heaven? Well, the angel's question was not for information. It wasn't just rhetorical. It was a bit of an admonishment is what it was, I think. In other words, I'll paraphrase. Um, what, are you going to stand here all day looking into the sky? Don't worry. He'll be back. In fact, he's going to come back the same way that he left. But that's really not any of your concern. Look, he's gone. He's gone, and you're staying here. <laughs> and that's how it's going to be. Now, there's work to do. We've got work to do. The show's over. Move along. You've got to get back to Jerusalem. There's something really important in 10 days. You've got to go back, and you've got to prepare. And that's what this is all about. So, you know, shoo, shoo. Show's over, let's go. That's kind of what they were saying, if you read between the lines. And let me explain why. The ascension, as I said, changed everything. It is the consummation of Christ's saving work. The ascension. It's the climax and the consummation. If we kind of quickly rehearse the story, the story of man, we know how our father... 
Adam failed to love God. He invited the evil one in to take control of the world by his act of disobedience. He plunged mankind into slavery and death. And the gate of paradise and the gate that led to the tree of life was slammed shut to mankind. So man, who was created glorious, God's vice regent in the earth, he who had been given the responsibility for heavenizing earth, mediating between heaven and earth, he was to usher in and interlace the majesty of heaven with earth. He utterly failed, and he became instead a slave, an ugly slave, a slave to the devil himself, and the devil became the prince of the world. God in Christ through his sacrificial passion and victorious resurrection, he overcomes our foe, he ransoms us from the slavery, sets us free, he opens the gate that had been shut, he opens the way to paradise and the tree of life, and the second man, the true Adam, through his sacrifice and obedience, frees us from our slavery, he restores us to a place of nobility and dignity and great glory and power. We are free from sin, free from slavery. But that's not all. We're not just free from sin and free from slavery. That new man, that other Adam, he ascended into glory and he was crowned king. He was crowned the king of all. With all authority and dominion and power. A scepter of righteousness. He is the king, the sovereign king, this man. And Paul says in Ephesians, What is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. <laughs> Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He is there. We are here. He is here and we are there. He didn't just take your shackles off. He made you kings and queens. Why stand here gazing up into heaven, the angels say, as if you are not there, and as if you have nothing to do. You are in heaven, seated with the king. You are in him, but you are in the earth at the same time. What has happened is the portal of heaven has been fully opened, and the power of God flows freely to you and through you. There is no need to gaze, gaping, after the disappearing Jesus. You are in him. And he is in you through the Holy Spirit. And you've been sent out to be his witnesses. You've been sent out to fulfill what the first Adam failed to do. To bring heaven down to earth. To live in the earth as heavenly citizens. Now go. Ten days wait and you'll receive power. And as Christ says. Lo I am with you until the end of the age. So what happened in the ascension is God has raised man on high. Man who was once a little lower than the angels is now crowned with glory and honor. He is a great and mighty king. And the angels, of course, stood in amazement as they saw the ascension of this God-man. What is this? 
See what God has done for man. See who is God's delight. Now we are now in the world, but not of the world. We are rather lights in the world. We are receiving an open vessel of grace of the kingdom of God which flows down from above. There is a ladder. There's a ladder between heaven and earth. You know about the ladder? The ladder is the Lord himself. He is the ladder. He stretches out and joins the two. Heaven and earth he joins in his own person. And we are his body. He the head, we the body. We are joined to him. And so heaven is joined to earth. We have passage. We have an unlimited visa between heaven and earth. We can go and come as we please. Going up and going down. Ascending and descending. Going up? Yes, today I think I'll go up. In prayer. In sweet adoration. Tonight I will go down. And cheer up some poor soul. We go in and out and find pasture. In and out and up and down on the ladder of Christ between heaven and earth. You see how wonderful and marvelous this is. What God has called us to. If we could only attain unto it. Jesus Christ is forever the mediator between God and man. He is mediating in his sacred flesh our union with God. Both priest and victim. Presenting his sacrifice. Which is our peace with God. He's not only the mediating priest and victim, but he's also this glorious king and ruler. And all of this as God made man, as man, as your and my elder brother, as our true father, Adam. He is our father, Adam, in whom our humanity has been ransomed, crowned, and fulfilled. So the gate of paradise is open. The world has been returned to man to fill it with heaven. We're no longer a slave. We're kings. We've been endued with power. We've been endued with authority to deliver the captive, to proclaim good tidings of peace, to feed the hungry with the bread of heaven, to overcome even the demons of hell. That's what's said in the Gospel of Mark that we heard in our Gospel today. He sends us forth to overcome the demons of hell, to cast out demons. Christ gave everything and the Father rewarded Him with majesty and with the world. He, he said, here, son, here is I give you the world. I give you the kingdoms of the world. And all it contains, they are yours. And Jesus received them, and he turned right around, and he gave them to us. He said, what the Father has given me, I give to you. You are my brethren. You are kings and princes and queens. And I give you the kingdom of God, and I give you the whole world. I give you everything. He is there and we are here. But his leaving did not create a rupture, it created a union. We are in Christ who is in heaven, and so we are in heaven. And he is in us who are on earth, and so he is on earth. And in this way, heaven and earth are united. And this is how we make earth heaven, by living our life from above, but living it here in the earth, by going forth. By going forth and not by standing and gaping and into an empty sky. You can come in and you can go out. And you can go up and you can go down. You're free. Everything is yours. Heaven is yours. And earth is yours. God's given it all to you. It's all yours. The kingdom is yours. 
Everything belongs to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.